0: (laughs) Hello Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host Jesse Weiler and we have another great episode for you. This week we are talking about the three irreducible constituent elements of liturgy. Basically the three most important aspects of liturgy and how they impact our worship. So without further ado, episode 28 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass
0: This time, we are talking about Monsignor Mannion's three constituent principles of, I don't know, Dennis, what are we talking (laughs) about? (laughs) Three irreducible constituent elements of the liturgy, but it's
2: actually an essay that he wrote back in the 90s called Catholic Worship and the Dynamics of Congregationalism. That's exactly what Uh, I was going to say. What does that mean? Well, you know, Monsignor Mannion was the founder of the Liturgical Institute back in 2000, and he's still a priest out in uh, Salt Lake City, although I think he's kind of partly retired now. And he was very good at bringing together a lot of disparate threads. You know, you see, if you think of the liturgy as a tapestry, and it's kind of started to fray, and people didn't know what was going wrong with it. And he was able to pull together all these different threads and kind of very astutely name the problems, and then very carefully give what he thought were the proper answers based on the foundational nature of liturgy itself. And one thing he realized, I think in the 80s and 90s in particular, was that there was a growing interest in the congregation, which is what the liturgical reformers wanted. They wanted the people in the pews to be able to worship as members of the mystical body, but that it had sort of gotten off the rails and the congregation became the dominant factor in the liturgy and it was everything else could be uh, expendable if the congregation had more to do. More singing, more doing, more feeling involved, more busyness, more minister of this, more minister of that. It would be kind of like saying, well, we need Eucharistic ministers, as they used to call them back then, instead of extraordinary ministers, just so that people have something to do, as opposed to an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, which is used when there's an extraordinary situation of need. And so he started realizing that congregationalism was kind of overwhelming the role of the priest and the rights of the church sometimes, and wanted to reestablish those all uh, back in proper place.
0: Okay, so that's congregationalism. We you mentioned there were three uh, constituent, right? So the, the irreducible constituent,
2: right? And uh, constituent means that the na- the liturgy is made of these things. They they constitute the liturgy, and irreducible means they can't be reduced any further. So you could say that you know everybody in the church is everything, but they can be reduced. To another level, which is priest, congregation, and so on. So the three things were the rite, the church, uh, the rites of the church. So that's not just the book of the actual text of the mass, but everything used in the rites, the music, the art, the architecture, the vestments, the, the movement, everything that con- constitutes, constitutes the rite. And a rite is a cluster of symbols used in a particular action, as Monsignor Meninos used to say, or in a, in a, in a particular uh, sequence. So you enter the doors, you walk down the aisle, you do this, then you do that, and together they form this cluster of symbols that form this tapestry of uh, symbolic mediation or sacramental revelation. And then there's the priest or the ordained ministries, the priest or the deacon, and then the congregation. And they're all necessary for full expression. that's the two, the priest or the deacon is two, and And three is the congregation. Those are the three parts. Theoretically, you could have what they used to call a private mass, which is a priest saying mass by himself, But it's not the ideal fullness of the mystical body to have the head without the members. So head, members, all doing what the rite asks of them. That's the fullness of the sacramental liturgical expression. And they're supposed to be in balance. So if the priest says, this is mine, and I'm going to just take it up here and recite it silently, and I don't care if the people reply or understand or no," then... The extreme uh, position of that can turn into a kind of ritual, excuse me, a kind of clericalism that the liturgy belongs to the priest. However, if the ritual becomes the number one thing and all we care about is the perfect music and the perfect church and the perfect vestment and the perfect scent of incense, and we don't really care if the priest is holy or the people are being sanctified or God is being glorified, then you have a ritualism, which the rite is the number one thing and everything else falls to the side. Typically, that's not what most people experience in suburban parishes mm-hmm. these days or or then when he wrote this. Uh, he said, properly speaking, well, or more commonly speaking, the congregationalism was the typical distortion that the priest sometimes, especially in the 90s, was told, oh, Father, you know, we don't really need you. You know, you sit in the front row with us. You know, you're one of us. Or the priest would say, oh, well, you do this because I don't want a Lord being a priest over you, that sort of preconciliar concerns that the priest's. Just said, pray, pay, and obey, and do what I say, and um, that people didn't matter, and the priests sort of had this undue importance. Had a kind of extreme reaction, which oh, the priests are just just one of us. So this flattening out of the difference between uh, laity and the clergy,
1: and relative to the right, then too, the the, the right became uh, impoverished.
2: I, well, it became uh,
1: yeah an extension of the of the congregation of the people, a reflection of them, and became malleable by them. Uh, it took their bearings from the congregation and it was uh, not something standing over and against congregation as, a, as an irreducible integral part of this uh, three-way dynamic, but was just a, uh, a kind of a tool of the
2: congregation. Right. So the idea is that all of these stay in their proper place. You know, Vatican II speaks very clearly about the hierarchical arrangement of, of the people and of the liturgy, that there are some things at the top of the hierarchy and then things work their way down, which is a thing that some people have a problem with right, right. hierarchy is a word we don't like in our right. kind of modern self expressive democratic notion of things But, you know, if your head were not at the top of your neck and your foot were making the decisions for you, you'd probably be in pretty bad shape. You would not be
0: beautiful. And if you want to know what that means, you'll have to listen to one of our past podcasts. That's right. That would be a consonancia problem. Right. But your foot doesn't have the capacity to lead the rest of your body like
2: your mind does and all the sort of governing principles of your brain. So the right things have to be in the right place so that the proper things happen. And that's what we mean by, by hierarchy. And so if the congregation is overwhelming... Um, the, the right, then it's not a full participation in the sacramental system of, of the church anymore. So we just, Everybody comes in and says, we're going to do whatever we want. Well, they're not being conformed to any kind of heavenly reality that precedes them. They're just inventing a kind of chaotic earthly reality. There's nothing really wrong with that if you're you know out on the football field. Well, two field.
0: rights can make a wrong. You, you know lack of right well, also makes a right, right, wrong right. in this right. case so is that like dancing with two left feet yeah I guess <laughs> ugly yeah <laughs> and a lot of it
2: a lot of it has to had to do at that time with people who were sort of in the um, sort of the, the prime age of governing the church you know people who grew up in the 40s and the 50s and they were kind of hitting their stride in leadership in the church in the 90s and they still were in a reactionary mode against father who uh, got all the attention people who didn't get to do what they were supposed to do And they're sort of demanding, we have rights too. We're gonna be in charge. And you get this extreme reaction to uh, an extreme situation. And now I think we have largely, thanks to people like Monsignor Mannion, who saw what are the problems of the unbalanced response to the unbalanced problem. And now we're in the middle trying to figure out, well, what does the congregation do? What is the theology of the congregation? What is the theology of the right? What is the theology of the cleric? And then when they're all in balance, then everything works in a nice way.
1: It might be too early to ask this then, Dennis. We've seen what some of the um, aberrations of, of each of these three are. Well, what does a perfectly balanced, perfectly harmonious uh, working together of
2: the three look like? Well, basically you follow the the ritual of the church. Right? When it says the priest does this, the priest does that. Yeah. When it says the people do this, the people do that. And then there are some places you know where you have a little bit of flexibility mm-hmm. about what you do when. Um but for an example, you know, there was a, a sort of popular trend in, the, I guess, 10, 15 years ago where the priest would say, may, all guide, may Almighty God bless us at the end of Mass instead of, May Almighty God bless you. Because he was like, Oh, I'm one of the people. I don't want to act like I'm doing something special for you.
0: Well, that's not a blessing then. then.
2: Well, the problem mm-hmm. is the priest at that moment is speaking as Christ. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I'm Jesus. I'm asking the Father and I have the <laughs> Father's authority When I invoke this blessing, it will happen. May Almighty God bless you. And Mm -hmm. if he says, may Almighty God bless us, then he's just a guy in the pews, like everybody else, sort of throwing his priestly authority aside and saying, I'm part of the congregation. It's not just a concept of theologically wrong. It, it, I, yeah, I don't know, Chris, is there a blessing actually not occurring there? I don't know how it would, how it would work in terms yeah, of the satiety, yeah. but, the valid, the, but
1: valid, the, valid but illicit. Theology of, <laughs> no, perhaps the whole theology of blessing is a, another couple of podcasts we could probably do. But I, it, it seems to me, if I were to make a stab at this, and it's been uh, too long since I've uh, read uh, Monsignor Mannion's uh, uh, chapter. But I mean, the three of these things work to in, in a harmony. It seems to me uh, in this way and this is especially something we'd find at the liturgical institute it's a rites based sacramental based uh, curriculum right where there's an emphasis on the liturgical ritual and the sacramental signs and symbols that make it up because it's in the rite in the ritual uh, these things clothe the saving work of jesus christ these are the bearers of christ this is why the ritual is important because in the ritual, and by celebrating the ritual, this is the privileged means uh, by which Jesus Christ carries on his saving work in the world today. So don't fear the ritual. So this is on the one hand. On the other hand, we have the congregation and the people that make it up, who are looking for, for nourishment, for substance, for spiritual fulfillment, for sanctification, for, uh, for holiness. Well, and so you have these two Two out of the three poles. You have the ritual filled with Jesus on the one hand, and you have the congregation looking for something to eat on the other hand. And the third part of this triangle then is the pastor, is is the cleric, is the clergy, mm-hmm. and their job. I know the root of the word a uh, pastor means to lead to pasture. Okay, uh, I, I think even etymologically, the 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 word the the. It's used to be a prefix pa, pa means uh, food or bread, even like panis. Okay, so the pastor puts substantial food into hungry mouths, leads hungry mouths to green fields. And so what the pastor does, the third point of this uh, triangle, is he takes the hungry mouths on the one hand, and he takes the ritual, which is the substantial food on the other hand, and he brings them together so that the people can be nourished by uh, the food of the ritual and it seems to me that these three irreducible points work together most harmoniously in this way the priest and the clergy are unique and they do have a unique call um, a unique gift not something that that they chose or that they earned or merited but uh, in the person of christ they are the pastors who take the, the the members of their hungry flock and they feed them with substantial food this seems to me how they work together
2: and part of that is getting out of their own way and letting Christ be radiating through them, Monsignor Menu makes the point that clericalism isn't always just the priest sort of hogging the right to himself and saying it silently far away. But that a priest who kind of acts what he calls a game show host model of presiding <laughs> says, "Oh, I don't have to be Jesus sacramentally leading the head of the mystical body. I can do whatever I want. I can take things out. I can put things in." You know, typically, I you know I don't like to talk about liturgical abuses. We all experience them, but I was at a mass, uh, and the priest was sitting on a chair in the front of the altar. He decided not to sit off to the side. It was right in front of the altar, and he was waving and making goofy faces at this kid in the front row <laughs> while well, during oh, the readings. No. And he stole the liturgy from me because I couldn't I couldn't pray. Because he was there doing whatever he wanted, making stuff up, putting things in, taking things out. And so, of course, being you know snarky, I I I smiled and shook, shook his hand and said, Father, I've never seen such clericalism in my life. <laughs> I said with a <laughs> smile. And he was shocked because what he thought he was doing by making it so casual was making it accessible to me. But actually what he was doing was Taking it all to himself and saying the liturgy yeah. is mine and I can do whatever I want with yeah. it. We should say too about uh, it's not always the priest who
1: wills and decides to do this on his own. Sometimes it's members of the congregation who force him into that position, or rather want mm-hmm. him to be, uh, you know, like you're describing. And so it's not always uh, their own volition that they do this. Uh, very often, we want him to be funny and witty and friendly and be himself and be relaxed and not be you know, the standoffish uh, 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 person who's presiding in the liturgy. So um, he, has, he has a lot of pressures uh, internally and externally that the priest has to re- help to, to maintain this proper balance between the clergy, the uh,
2: assembly, and the ritual. Right. So the question that Monsignor Manion begins his essay with, this is in his book, Masterworks of God. He says, who celebrates the Eucharist? Is it the priest or is it the people? And so the the logical, um, well, the, what the people thought before the council was the priest did everything and the people waited around to get their their golden dew drop of the communion. What the liturgical movement of the 20th century rediscovered was people and priests together are a mystical body. So that the head and members, mm-hmm. ordination and by virtue of baptism, both offer the sacrifice according to their place in the hierarchy. So they both did it. What happens then is two... Oh yeah, I'm a priest too, because I'm baptized, so the congregation does everything. And when a congregation becomes dominant, guess what happens? Suddenly... The congregation is all that matters, so the walls can be beige, the windows can be clear. Mm-hmm. You don't need any kind of simple system of the right to remind you that you're worshiping with the angels and the saints and the souls in purgatory and the Trinity. It's us doing our thing. And the songs start to become things like, we are called, we are chosen, we are Christ for one another, instead of, oh God, we praise you. It's, mm-hmm. It becomes an us, us, us expressing our uh, situation. Um, which, you know, you see some songs right after the council, we are the body of, of Christ. Somos el cuerpo de Cristo. We are the body of Christ, which is right. You know, we are the body. But we're the body with the head, forming an image of the mystical body. And so, like a lot of things, the reactionary corrective positions can become just as bad as the. Well, that's what I was just uh,
0: That's what I was just thinking is that you, there's that whole pendulum theory. And it's like anytime you. You go too far in one direction, there's the reaction to go to the extreme in the other way. And I think that's one of the dangers of getting out of balance. It, first of all, it's, it's poor liturgy, but second of all, you start to get into that uh, pattern of that, that pendulum, going from one way to the other, so when, now when you have too much congregationalism, people are like, well, we don't have enough clericalism, so now we need to move more towards that and have more order, and so then, it's, then it gets even sometimes harder to find that balance when you go in one direction. I've been seeing this movie for a very
1: long time, but you remember the movie Beetlejuice with uh, oh, yeah. Michael Keaton? And at one point near the end, his head starts shrinking mm-hmm, and shrinking. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a, an overgrown congregationalism looks like. <laughs> this big body, but with a very uh, a small a head, you know, a, a, a body that's decapitated, it's headless, is, is not going to live. Right. And, you know, just like the mystical body that worships and that comes together in the assembly, you know, the, the worshiping body needs its head, just like the head doesn't survive either I mean, the, the, body, the yeah. body. Take, for example, you know, what, what do you call You mentioned this before, when a priest celebrates mass by himself. Do you know what that's the official title for that is? Oh, the, I thought mass. this was a
2: joke. Without a congregation? No, no,
1: no, no such thing. It's called mass at which only a single minister assists. Ah. Because mass without a congregation is a head without a body and at least you know theologically you know it has to have that minister there right.
2: ideally and you needed to have an altar sir even way back then right when there was no congregation well, that yeah,
1: yeah to make, and yeah to make responses mm-hmm. to assist but you know what what that server represents is is the mystical body so at least you know even in in the title in, in the general instruction it's mass at which only a single minister assists and this helps this is just in in the
2: language that helps to uh, try to keep in balance the head and the body together right so how this matters to anybody you know in, in individual parish situation you know look around you know is it a priest dominant situation where the people aren't singing the parts they're supposed to sing or is the priest kind of afraid of the people you know oh i could never preach the truth in my parish i'd be run out of town on a rail (laughs) or Mm -hmm. if the priest wants to sing the priest parts and the people want to sing it too and you know sometimes you you stop in a church and the whole congregation will sing the through him and with him and in him and it's not their part to sing but if you try Mm -hmm. to tell them they shouldn't do it they'll probably feel like why are you stealing this from me but, you know, the mystical body theology is my other thing other than ontology that I talk about all the time. Head and members together, each in the right place, each doing the parts that they're supposed to be doing, sacramentalizing Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven, which includes us. That's the, that's the good thing is that the people get drawn into the very prayer of Christ at the right hand of God, and they can have access to God the Father through the headship of Christ. If you just showed up in heaven, it's like knocking on the door, you know, I demand to see the Father now. They'd say, see ya, pal. Take a number. Yeah, but guess what? We have this bridge builder <laughs> to the Father called Christ, who's the head of the mystical body, symbolized by the priest and the people together. And when you do that right liturgically, you are you are making real on earth what's happening in heaven. And that's, that's the liturgical goal, to have access to the Father through the headship of Christ, sacramentally presented, Everybody doing the part and only the part that they're supposed to do. So Vatican II says over yeah. and over again, and each one are... should do
1: all of, but only those parts which pertain to him or that. You find that all over the Constitution, the sacred right. liturgy, and and the other are... documents.
2: Vatican II Catholics aren't we, Chris?
0: We, we didn't, and then we also didn't really touch on the extreme version of ritualism, which is. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, but just following the pattern for the pattern's sake and, you know, not really having any, um, you know, emotional connection or encounter in it or, you know, not understanding what the congregation's role, but just looking at a list of things and just checking them off. Is that good? Is that Yeah, correct? that would be at the
2: minimum level usually we don't see ritualism very often but which typically, is why we didn't talk about it no,
1: it's not it's generally not a problem
2: typically it's associated with high church churches so you have say like high anglican churches they have big endowments and they're you know operating in new york city and they have all the money for the best singers and everything and there are three people in the congregation but boy is it it's the most beautiful artistic thing um but the, the right has sort of uh overwhelmed the the rest of it and so hopefully you want your right to be full and beautiful you want your priestly leadership to be the headship of Christ and you want the members to do their part. So if the mystical body is singing beautifully, that's it. You know, the rite is performed beautifully in a beautiful place and everybody's doing the part that belongs to them fully, but only what belongs to them, then you have a nice, well-governed church. Synergy. <laughs> I
0: don't you know, have but all three I, of these I,
1: parts I, working together. <laughs> you have perfect cooperation between these uh, three uh, component parts. You have harmony,
2: concord, beauty. And this is how heaven is, right? God is at the center of all the things, but nobody feels gypped. Oh, I'm not God, so I'm not going to praise him. Well, that's what the devil said, right? Mm-hmm. So we are... Perfect- and we all know where he ended that's up. That's right. We're perfectly happy praising God according to our place in the hierarchy of things. Some of us will be up close and high. Some of us will be little, little flowers, like St. Therese, the little flower. She was full and happy being a little flower because that's her, her ontology. And so that's how it should be. Sometimes if you see old stained glass windows, they'll have a little beehive in the background of some of them. And the beehive Mm -hmm. stood for an image. It was an image of the well-governed church. Because all the bees did their part. Only one queen was there. But if they all wanted to be queens, they would all starve to death because the queen can't do what the worker bees can do. And the fruit of their common labor was honey, which was sweet, and it's a biblical image, and also wax, which was for candles, which were used for Mass, and Mass for Eucharist, and Eucharist for salvation. And so the the beehive was this great image of the well-governed Church. And I, I, I think you can say everybody does what they're
0: supposed to do, and they do it fully and well, and they live happily ever after. So we should all just drone on with the drone, <laughs> drone bees.
2: It's actually very simple. <laughs> do what you're supposed to do, nothing more, nothing less, but do it to the full,
0: right? That's it. That's true. All right, well... Uh, Speaking of doing things to the full, let's fully answer an email question. Hey, Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host, Jesse Weiler. And before we get into this week's email question, I wanted to quickly remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up in April 2017. If you're a young adult and you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, both Dennis and Chris will be speaking at this Young Adult Liturgy Conference in Chicago. So to learn more about that, go to www.betransfigured.com.
1: So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the Church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the Church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the Magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
2: Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
0: Uh, All right, so we have an email question from my listener today. And today's question is Are you allowed. To have a mass outdoors, and this question is from anonymous. So, what say you?
1: No, I mean yes, Uh sometimes,
2: maybe. I
0: think I've been to a a mass in the Vatican where the where the Pope said mass outdoors. So, I I was was camping with a
2: priest once, and we celebrated mass outdoors on a rock. Okay,
1: yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the yes no part of the the question. in a document called Redemptionis Sacramentum, Instruction on the Eucharist, things to do and not to do, it uh, provides a whole uh, a variety of legislation on elements of the Mass, and it cites the Code of Canon Law in our answer for this question. It says, the celebration of the Eucharist is to be carried out in a sacred place, unless in a particular case, necessity requires otherwise. The, in this case, is to be done in a decent place. All right, so... Uh, There has to be a reason that it's not going to be in a sacred place. So, for example, there's too many people to fit inside of St. Peter's Basilica. Or there's no church, and so the priest has to say Mass on the camping trip outside. But if it's just a matter of, well, the church is right there, we can do it in the church, we can do it uh, in the parking lot outside of the church, well, that doesn't seem like it it would be a a necessary uh, requirement. So if,
0: if there are means to have the Mass indoors, then you should always have it indoors.
1: Yes, uh, that's, I think, with this, with this instruction, is trying to say, yeah, if, if, uh, if at all possible, have it in the sacred place. Only if there's a um, uh, particular case necessity requires otherwise would you go somewhere else. So it's not like uh, the magisterium or the tradition of the church is, well, you can have Mass here, you can have Mass there, it really doesn't matter. It does matter because a sacred place uh, brings with it so much... A sacramental substance and meaning that it, it's, it's all a part of the fabric of the celebration of the Mass.
2: And I don't think it's an indoor-outdoor question as much as is it in a sacred place, meaning a place consecrated and sacramentally rich with the things that indicate the importance of what you're doing. You know, I talk about churches all the time being an image of the heavenly Jerusalem, and you have the, the heavenly beings there. And so if you have a building that shows you your own heavenly future, that will enable a fuller participation in the liturgy. And so it's not just a yes or no law question. It's when you do it you should do it more fully and the art and architecture are part of that fullness
0: so the answer is yes but or no but <laughs> right yeah. like so no many but. liturgical right. questions
1: <laughs> yeah all things being equal go inside the church when when possible when possible
0: all right sounds good anonymous i hope that answered your question and if you want to submit a question to the liturgy guys you can email us at questions at dot com. thank you and god bless